everyone, and welcome to another episode of Your Money in 20, the podcast by your friends at Woodward Financial Advisors. I'm joined here again by Laura Neal, Certified Financial Planner and my colleague here at Woodward. Hi, Laura. Hello, Vic. So uh, our topic today is all about cash. Who doesn't like cash? Um, But really, the question that we're asking that we're going to spend our time talking about is how much is too much to have on hand? We've been having these conversations a lot with clients lately, right? And, um, you know, cash sometimes accumulates. It's a great problem to have, but um, without purpose, sometimes we can get lost and all of a sudden find ourselves with a bunch of cash that's not doing anything. This is true. So speaking of doing something, I mean, Laura, we talked before and said there are some reasons that are good reasons to hold cash and some that are less good. Uh, Do you want to lay out a few of the reasons that you may hold cash? Sure. We came up with three main purposes for cash. The first one may seem obvious, but it's to pay for stuff. So this is your normal in and outflows of cash for your monthly expenses. That's pretty self-explanatory. Next, we come upon near and midterm expenses. This can be anywhere from two to three years. So think about things, one-time larger expenses that you're going to need to pay for in the next two or three years. A car, a home renovation, you're paying for college for a child, things like that, that you would want to keep in cash. And then third is the one we've all heard of is the emergency fund. And there's lots of different schools of thought to this, Vic. Some say three to six months, some say up to 12 to 24 months. But those are really the three main reasons we want to see people holding cash. Yeah, and it's it's worth mentioning that often this is all happening in one or two bank accounts. Mm -hmm. And I'd say for most folks that we talk to, you've got a checking account where, you know, you put your paycheck, you you pay the bills when they come, maybe pay off credit cards. Uh and and there's some amount of float that just stays there all the time. That's that's great. You don't want to overdraft your account and cut it too close. Where it gets a little more blurry are the second two that you talked about. So those near and midterm expenses, well, what qualifies, right? And and what's the difference between those expenses and the emergency fund expenses? Mm-hmm. Good point. And I guess if I were to distinguish between those two, um, emergency fund, they're unexpected things that in a perfect world wouldn't happen. A car accident, uh, big healthcare bills, loss of a job, so supporting your income. That's why people talk about it often in months. Mm-hmm. How many months of expenses can you survive while you're looking for a new job? The difference is the near and midterm expenses, those are expected. Right. So things that you expect to come down the pipe, you said of a couple, maybe a down payment for a house if you're Mm -hmm. buying a first home or a second home. And you may not be totally sure if you'll be able to cover that from income. Right. But, you know, there's something there. And our rule of thumb is don't invest the money if you're going to need it inside of a couple of years. Because it could be less. I've heard the market's uncertain. Yeah, right. Yeah. We think we have a couple of podcasts about that one. <laughs> um, so I, I hope that makes sense. Honestly, each of these could be sort of its own podcast in a way, especially mm-hmm. the emergency fund, because that's a different number for everybody. Uh, but I, I think sometimes the emergency fund gets conflated with some of our less favorable reasons. So Mm. I'm not going to say these are invalid reasons to hold cash, but there are reasons that we see out there that I think there may be better ways to achieve 
the goal if they're, I mean, often it's not even intentional, but mm -hmm. what are some of the bad reasons? I mean, less good reasons <laughs> that, that we've heard. Well, so we also came up with three because we like the number three and they all really revolve around uncertainty. So the things we talked about before, there's a little more certainty to, we know our monthly expenses. We possibly know, you know, near midterm expenses. Um, the first one is just something catastrophic is going to happen. We did put down zombie apocalypse, and I've decided to go ahead and go with that. As just a fun way to say, lots of people feel safe holding a lot of cash. And we've this is one that we've seen a lot of lately. Right. Well, right. because we've gone through extremely uncertain times, right? Yep. So, yeah, zombie apocalypse, we'll use that as a broad-reaching term for... Uh, things that make us very uncomfortable that are going on in the world. Right. So we're keeping our cash in the bank account instead of under the mattress, at least. So the next one we title analysis paralysis. Mm. And this is kind of that thought of, I don't know what to do with this cash. It's accumulating and accumulating, but the market's uncertain and the world's uncertain. And I just can't figure out what to do with it. So I'm just going to leave it where it is. This one we see a lot with clients who come and work with us for the first time. Let's say they've never had an, uh, an advisor and they say, I know I should invest it, but I don't know what to invest it in. Mm -hmm. I know I should be doing something with this, mm -hmm. but it just continues to accumulate because choosing is too daunting. Yeah. Just to put it another way. It's, and if you're in this category, don't feel like you're alone. This is a, a common thing we hear. And then the last one is I'm going to hold it until it's the right time to invest it in the market. And yeah. what, what do we think about that, Vic? Well, you know, philosophically, this one is at odds with the way that the research about how markets work and how humans interact with markets. This is the one that you can sort of disprove somewhat. You know, no one is really good at Picking the right time. Often we're exactly the opposite. We're specifically bad at, but we pick the, the wrong time more often. It's right. not 50 50. Yeah. And that's, you know, saying, well, you know, we've got to wait for the markets. To, uh, and this is the one that we hear so often waiting for the markets to get a little better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's Warren Buffett or somebody uh, who has a quote saying, the right time to put your money in is when there's blood in the streets. Right? So <laughs> it's where everyone is panicked. Right. That's the right time because markets are forward-looking. They're predicting the future. Mm -hmm. So if they've already recovered, you're too late. And unfortunately, markets, they don't just get an average return of, you know, half a percent every day. So that's, that's way wrong. But half a percent <laughs> every month for, you know, 6% total in a year. No, most of the return in any given year is often concentrated in just a few days during the year. Right. So if you're counting on guessing You've already missed the boat. Yeah, if you're counting on guessing when those perfect days are going to be, either in the real estate market or stock markets or bond markets, well, you're probably a little overconfident. And if you get it right once, you you probably won't get it right again. So don't get overconfident if you may have nailed that one time. Um, we're happy that you did, but uh, no one really can do that consistently. So we don't we don't love that one, but we see it all the time. We do. So. What should we do then? So I've got this cash. Mm 
And, and I think just based on what we just laid out, I think the the basic premise is you take those first three reasons. What do you need to float just to pay your your in and outs for the year, your bills? What do you have upcoming in the next two or three years for knowable expenses that you're not going to be able to cover from cash flow? And how much do you have set aside in your emergency fund? Let's say those three things add up to $100,000. You need $10,000 as a sort of in and out to, to cushion your bank account and your checking. Mm-hmm. You have $70,000. You're going to uh, buy some fancy car. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Tesla. Is that, that's yeah. not even that fancy anymore. I but know. You're going to buy something with that $70,000. You're going to do a kitchen and get a car. Okay. And then you need thirty or what's $20,000 left. Mm-hmm. That's your emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Let's say that's three months of expenses for you and your family. So you have $100,000 in cash. And that could be in savings, checking, money market. Let's all cash type instruments. Our logic says anything above and beyond that is long-term money. So you should invest it in the market. This podcast isn't about what to do with those investments. Right. That we're just trying to outline an approach that we use sort of across the board. Everyone's situation is a little different. And uh, we hear a lot of and have a lot of conversations about the other categories, which are sort of this uncertainty cash. And, you know, I think there's some validity to the concept of, you know, I need this cash to sleep at night. Absolutely. But cash isn't your only safe option. Mm-hmm. You know, every investment isn't the same. I mean, we have some clients who have 100% stock in their portfolio, but most of our clients have a balanced portfolio of stocks, bonds, short-term bonds, long-term bonds, inflation-protected bonds, sort of all of these different asset classes. And I would say just have a conversation with your advisor, uh, if you have one, and if you don't, maybe talk to somebody who could say, well, I still want to feel safe, but how do I find something that is still safe, but um, maybe the right risk allocation for you may help to chip away at that over time. And by the way, you don't have to do it all at once. You can dollar cost average into the market over a period of six months or a year and do little chunks Mm -hmm. along the way to help sort of dip your toe in. Mm -hmm. But it's a new era over the last year or so, Laura. And... We're hearing some sort of new things that that relate to maybe objections about getting that cash into the market that we weren't hearing before uh, because interest rates have gone up. So do you want to just sort of lay out, we could talk about each one, lay out a few things that we've been hearing. Yeah. So when we have clients come in that have a fair amount of cash and are hesitant to put it in the market, one of the common questions we hear is, but I can get four to five percent on my money market right now, you know, and we've just gone through a period of the market not being so great. So isn't that a great return? And our answer to that is we're also in a period of high inflation. And so one thing we don't always talk about is the real return you get on your money. Mm -hmm. And so if you're earning four percent on a money market, but inflation is four percent, you're essentially getting zero purchasing power inflation on your money. You're you're not keeping up or you're just keeping up with inflation. Well, and, and we're so often now hearing, well, finally we're getting something on our cash. Mm-hmm. Well, if you actually do the math and if you go back, let's say five years, everybody was getting like 0% on their cash, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe 1% depending on what period we're talking about. If you look at inflation numbers over those similar periods, there were periods of time over the last 
10 years for, for certain where your real return on those cash savings vehicles, money markets, cash equivalents, you're actually better off getting 1% than you are now getting five. Mm. And it's actually shocking how often folks say, well, interest rates are so good right now, but I'll pick on sort of some of the big banks, Wells Fargo's of the world. Mm-hmm. There are bank accounts where you could get 5%, but you're still sitting in your money market account getting one. Mm-hmm. or your savings account getting one. So just because interest rates have gone up doesn't mean your bank account has followed, especially if you have certain big, yeah. large institutions that have been around for a while. You have to do your homework and hunt around for those good rates. Right. Okay, what's another one? Well, we spoke about this briefly before, but waiting for the market to turn around. So I don't think we need to beat a dead horse on this. But that's, again, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what the markets are going to do. So we don't really see that as a valid reason. Yeah, I don't have the the data in front of me, but one thing that I mentioned it earlier that I'll just sort of reiterate is that, you know, if you look at the number, if you look at over the past 50 years or something, and the, the average return in, you know, let's say a certain type of stocks is 10%. If you take out sort of the top 25 days over that entire period, the, the last 20 years, your average return drops by several percent. And just what that means is that you're getting the average market return over time. Let's say it's just indexing is dependent on you being in the market on those 25 days. Right. And if you take the top 50 days, I mean, it just, it continues to look more and more compelling. So yeah, no one can guess when those 25 days are going to be. Well, so and to that, yeah, on that point, I actually did a little calculation because sometimes percentages are harder to conceptualize in actual dollars. So let's say you're holding $500,000 above and beyond what you need in those three areas we talked about. And you're getting a 1% yield on your money market and the market suddenly, like we talked about, goes up 15% then you've lost out on $70,000 in return. Mm -hmm. So it just puts a little more real numbers to what's happening when you're keeping that money in cash. Yeah, and we know psychologically missing out on $70,000 and losing $70,000. Economically, it's the exact same. Mm -hmm. But it hurts more when we lose it. Yeah. Even if it's a temporary loss, as is the case in in long-term investing, that's called loss aversion, and it is something that is built into our psyches probably so we could, like, survive the ice age and the saber-toothed tires, like all these sure. things that make us bad sure. at investing. Um, but we know it feels different, but that's why financial advisors exist to uh, basically nerd out about the numbers and say it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's dip our toe in, maybe dollar cost average mm-hmm. into the market anyways. Mm-hmm. So the last one I had was just this general uncertainty about your cash needs. And I think this comes into play more during your retirement years than your working years. And so maybe I'm newly retired. I'm not really sure what my cash flow is going to be. And so it feels comfortable to have a large amount of cash. Yeah. And sometimes... You should have more in cash, especially if you're a retiree and you're living from the portfolio most of the time. When we look at what that six months or a year, let's say for your 
uh, near to midterm cash needs. Remember that second bucket was money we're going to spend in the next two years. Mm-hmm. There are retirees, and there's some research that suggests it's beneficial to have that next year or two of income requirement from the portfolio. So let's say you take fifty thousand a year, you could have a hundred thousand dollars rolling value invested mm-hmm. in cash or cash-like stuff, and you're still following the plan. Right. But in retirement, you've just got a different near to midterm cash need. So it ends up working out where you are holding more cash, mm-hmm. but it's on purpose. Right. It's not because it feels right. It's because that's the money that we're going to need. And, and that's an important distinction. I mean, for us, every dollar should have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And helping you sleep at night is a purpose, but it's a very emotionally driven purpose. And it often is hard to figure out where that starts and stops so it can run away on you. Um, so. Well, and I think uh, one point that we've talked about and has been all over the news is just this concept of inflation. Mm-hmm. And really, Vic, would you agree that that's really the number one reason we invest in the market? Yeah. Is to at least keep pace and outpace inflation because a gallon of milk today is going to be more expensive a year from now. Yeah, and retirements are not just 10 years like they were when we only lived to 75. Yeah, exactly. A lot of our clients have long retirements. I had a client who turned 100 years old recently, mm-hmm. and uh, she was asking whether her money would last until 102 and 103 because she had friends at her retirement community <laughs> that were living that long. So it may be hard to imagine today sitting in your at your desk or on the way home from work, but um, in 40 years, things are going to be a lot more expensive. And the only thing over the long term that has consistently outpaced it, it hasn't been money markets. It nope. hasn't been CDs. Nope. That's all just different versions of cash. It's investments in the stock and bond markets. And that's uh, that's why we invest. That's why we deal with the pain of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Like we said, it, it hurts when you see your accounts down by $100,000. But um, you got to have faith in the process and the, the long-term plan. So... Um, it's a great place to end it. Yeah. Laura, any final comments for the people? I have one final comment. I would just like to wish the 401k a happy 40th birthday today. It was created 40 years ago today, and we might not be where we are today without it. All right. Well, on that note, happy birthday, 401ks, uh, and we look forward to next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Your Money in 20, the podcast by your friends here at Woodward Financial Advisors. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you could find us on the web at woodwardadvisors.com and as a firm on both Facebook and LinkedIn. There's a link to those pages at the bottom of our website. You can also find us all as individuals on both Twitter and LinkedIn. Now, we love receiving listeners' suggested topics, so if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, please hit the Let's Talk link at the top of our website and submit a message with podcasts in the subject line. Thanks again for listening and talk to you next time.